if our pastor or church leadership, you know, does not make us feel welcome um, on on these sorts of things, you know, we tend to be silent and we tend to feel like, well, you know, um, maybe there's something else I'd rather do with my time than be a part of the community. I'd rather be somewhere where I know that people can hear me and love me, even though I feel like I have this really heavy or hard thing that's part of my life. This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia. Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Cynthia Foldendorf, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF Prime. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee's School of Theology Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the Center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Elizabeth Hagen. She is a pastor serving across denominational lines in Baptist, Presbyterian, and Methodist traditions. She is an author, pending several titles, including Birth, Finding Grace Through Infertility. She now joins the Rarified Twofer class of the podcast, appearing on the second time on this platform. Elizabeth, thank you for joining the conversation. Glad to be here today. Thank you for having me. So, um... What have you been up to since we last had you on in 2017? What, what's changed in your life? <laughs> I mean, a global pandemic, for one. Um, but um, beyond that, um, I think when I talked to you last, I wasn't serving a local congregation. Um, but since, uh, since then, I, I have been. Um, I was most recently the pastor of the Palisades Community Church in Washington, D.C., um, and uh, it was a, a great setting for me to birth a new book, which is Brave Church, Tackling Tough Topics Together, 
Uh, it's a very brave church uh, congregation that was founded as a neighborhood congregation where they didn't care whose name was on the door. They just wanted, um, this is over 100 years ago, they wanted uh, folks in the neighborhood to know that their kids could go to Sunday school and receive Christian education. And it sort of evolved from there. And I was one of the first Baptists who was pastor. So I was, I remember asking them, so what is a Baptist like in this setting? And they said, we think you're a little more animated than we're used to. I said, well, that's, that's a good thing, I guess. Um, and um, had a great relationship with them and was able to transition them through a, a big change in their life as they moved from being just kind of a, uh, a normal, typical congregation of smaller size into uh, birthing a new nonprofit out of that. And uh, now they have some new leadership that are helping them in their next phase of life. And I'm on a sabbatical year down in South Georgia as I'm having this time to, to really focus on Brave Church and this book launch that's happening right now. So that's what I've been up to. How, how have you been doing? <laughs> that, there's a lot to unpack for me too uh, over a period of four years. Of course, the pandemic feels like 10 years. So I know, uh, doesn't I, it? <laughs> yeah. I, it's aged and pastoring me. through the pandemic, like that's, you should... I think we should all get like extra five years on our resume <laughs> for everything that's happened. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been, I would say, um, the most challenging um, requirement of adaptive leadership that I, I think um, any generation that's serving right now has ever had to experience. Um, it's, it's the toll that it takes on you, not only professionally and spiritually, but also you know, for a lot of a lot of folks, you can leave and go home and feel like you have escaped whatever it is until the next day. You know, every 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 leader, every person, every organization has conflict they have to deal with. The church is certainly a different nature to that. But then with this pandemic, you go home and oh, by the way, I still got to deal with this personally because <laughs> I, if I, you know, whether I'm a single person or a person that has family or a person that has children or married or whatever we still have to worry about this thing together. Uh, so it's, it's been a very taxing uh, experience uh, to say the least. Um, I know. And you, you have small children. Like I have a four-year-old and it was like, you know, figuring out how to continue to pastor and take care of people in crisis and, you know, keep my house from being a complete disaster every day (laughs) and all the lack of like childcare, you know, I mean, I've been thinking so much about how, you know, it remind this year has reminded us how much we need each other and, and how how difficult it's been to feel so separate. Like the people I need to hire to come and help me with childcare in my house. I mean, and those are the people that need the work and have needed, you know, need the community of what I could give and I need what they could give. And we've just been so separated from each other, all just kind of slugging along. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to some brighter days of of more people around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, when we last had you on, um, um, we were talking about your book, um, which uh, kind of helps people journey through theologically, you know, this very difficult uh, journey of infertility. And uh, we actually spoke um, candidly about it, not only from your experience, but also from uh, my experience as as a father, as a husband, and some of the experiences we had um, as a couple. but since our last conversation, um, you know, you have become a mother. I, I wonder how becoming a mother has 
has amplified the work that you've already laid for uh, helping the church think theologically about infertility and and all that carries. Well, that's a that's a big question. I and you know I think when you become a parent, it's it's something that you continue to learn and process every day of like what kind of parent do you want to be and how then being a parent then affects how you lead. And I think, you know, I I was telling someone recently because this book, this new book, Brave Church, where I'm really asking churches to take a step and to, to be courageous in the way that they uh, have conversations in their midst. I really think my daughter in, in many ways is an inspiration for me in this process because I I now have to come home to someone who looks up to me and is looking at how what I'm doing and how I'm leading and has just kind of figured out that mommy's a pastor, which is kind of cool <laughs> to know um, to, you know, when your kids get to see uh, you and your element. But, um, you know, I, I think about what I most want to teach her um, and that is bravery. That is that, you know, the choices we make and the things that we choose to talk about or the things we choose not to talk about are just the defining really moments of our life. And so if there's anything I want her to become when she's older, I mean, is, is to know that bravery, while it can be scary and it can be risky, it, it can lead to some of the most beautiful moments in our life. And, um, I am so thankful for how she holds me accountable because to come home and think, you know, I could have, I could have, could have been a little more brave in the situation or um, that that's not what I want to offer my daughter. I want to show her a way that is paved in courage. Kids will keep you accountable. It's, it's, it's true. Remarkable. <laughs> I, I think it's a daily experience of having egg on my face, just realizing yeah. <laughs> so much kids watch you on every single thing that you do. And, and I think this era that we're living in uh, certainly is a remarkable time for children to watch their parents and to, they're, they're learning so much, you know, what was experienced through the Trump administration and the polarization that we still continue to live in this pandemic and, and just seeing how people respond, how people take personal responsibility, how they talk to other people, how they treat other people. Um, I do have high hopes for our children's future at the same time, I have so much um, anxiety uh, about what all this tension is, is going to do and create within them as they become the leaders in, in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, and this past year, you know, my daughter experienced her first protest. I mean, it wasn't something we planned on taking her to, but there in our street where we were at the time and um, in the DC area, there was a, a parade really going down our side street. And she was like, what is this? And, you know, they were saying no justice, no peace. And my daughter kind of caught on to that. And you know, that was kind of the chant around our house for the next like month because she had heard all these people in our, in our neighborhood, you know, with posters and, and saying those things. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's so much to absorb. You're right right now and so much to teach and model through. And and I think the children are looking to us as adults to take their cues about what is right and what is wrong and what what we're willing to speak truth into and and how how we love each other through times like this. 
So you have a, a new book out, Brave Church. This book is an invitation to share in difficult conversations within the local church. You wrote, you can't talk about a lot of topics in the church, I learned. But here is what else I learned. Our refusal to talk about topics, tough topics, can push people away from the church. Give us a story behind the book. Well, this... You, you talk about my first book, and, and really my first book is, and the experience of talking about it out in the world is what led me to write Brave Church, because uh, I had written a book about infertility, and you do what you do when you've written a book. You begin to speak at churches or conferences, and I had the experience of being asked by several congregations when they knew they were inviting me to speak, um, and they knew I'd written a book with the word infertility in the title, that if I could come to their church and maybe not talk about that. And I'm like, do you realize that's what my book is about? And so from that experience, I was like, well, okay, let me, let me figure out a way how to still accept this invitation. And so I began to create these grief workshops about unspoken grief. And I would sit in rooms with people that were new to me and I to them. And and we would have that fresh sense of conversation where we would talk about all the things that we don't talk about or things that bring us grief. Because, you know, especially as Baptists, we're really good at casseroles and we're really good when someone dies of knowing what to do and how to surround a family with love and support. But that's not the only types of deaths that we experience in our lives or the only types of grief. And so I began to sit and listen um, to these stories and I realized you know, it wasn't just infertility that nobody wanted to talk about. It was experiences like the ones I wrote about in Brave Church of mental illness and domestic violence, racism and sexuality. And, and while these were topics that affected people at the heart of who they were and, and their families, they often felt like, well, if I just say that in church, well, you know, my pastor's not going to like me or, you know, people are going to look at me funny or, you know, I'm certainly going to be shot down. And so, um, I began to think about what might be a tool, what might be a way in so that we can begin to utter these words and to have these important conversations with each other. Not not from a perspective of, you know, I wrote this book and I want you to think exactly the way I do. I hope that you don't know what I think on a lot of these topics, but the idea is that we all bring our stories and we form conversations and community groups and small groups in such a way with, with intentionality that we set some covenants with each other before we even begin so that we're able to stay in conversations even when we might have disagreements with each other. Well, let's go back to that quote I read uh, just a few seconds ago. Uh, you said that by refusing to talk about tough topics, we are pushing people away from the church. Why, why is this the case? Yeah, because it's these um, these tough topics that I, I tackle in Brave Church. These are these are experiences of suffering. I mean, if you think about it, someone that's experiencing violence in their own home, or someone that's trying to have a baby and and finding that nearly impossible, or someone whose child was just diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar um, disease. You know, these are experiences of extreme pain and suffering. And when we don't feel like we can bring our whole selves or our um, things that are really heavy on our hearts to a congregation, well, you know, uh, or, or if our pastor or church leadership, you know, does not make us feel welcome um, on, 
on these sorts of things, you know, we tend to be silent and we tend to feel like, well, you know, um, maybe there's something else I'd rather do with my time than be a part of the community. I'd rather be somewhere where I know that people can hear me and love me, even though I feel like I have this really heavy or hard thing that's part of my life. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. What will ministry at your church look like as we exit the pandemic? Where do you see new opportunities and insights needed? What are the pressure points that need support? BSK, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, invites you to take a short survey where you can share your insights. You'll also be entered to win a $100 gift certificate to an online Black-owned bookstore. Help us out and take the survey today at bsk.edu backslash pathways. That's bsk.edu backslash pathways. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Have you found that to be true in your your congregations that that you yeah over. yeah i mean but it uh, for a lot of people it tends to be a, a fading away you know yeah a sense of yeah. isolation the ghosting, that, right yeah it's the um you know it's typically the people that leave uh, in a loud fashion that it's usually not over an unwillingness for us to talk about these difficult things typically right. those are actually the right. people that you actually address those difficult things and they're leaving because you address them um, mm-hmm. No, you know, it's the it's the generation uh, our age and younger, um, not to, to make you old and fit into my generational category or anything, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, those are the folks that want the jer- church to address, uh, especially the injustices we see in this world right now. Mm-hmm. And when we don't, when we remain silent or don't find healthy ways to do it, they're, they're, they're going to go find other outlets to to experience. Right. That. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, the, the experience say of a person that's uh, has, you know, having experiences of racism that are part of their life and every day. And maybe we don't think about, well, you know, maybe they're, they're biracial, so it's not a big deal or, you know, they're, they're just from said country. So, you know, we have other people like that in our church. And so of course they feel welcome. But when we don't sit and and actually, you know, talk about these sorts of things and allow stories to be heard, um, we really miss out on the heart of the experience of what it means to be a follower of Christ um, in our community. I mean, this is a study that I piloted at my congregation um, when I was writing it. It was a great kind of check for me. So I wasn't just sitting in a room alone thinking these this is how you do it. I, I heard feedback every week as I was processing it. And it was truly amazing to hear people begin to utter things 
um, in the presence of our group uh, that had not ever shared things like that they had been victims of domestic violence or uh, talking about what it really felt like to, to live in their skin as a person of color or what it felt like to um, know that their, their child was struggling with an eating disorder and they didn't know if they were going to get better. And, and it drew us closer together in such powerful ways uh, that it opened up parts of us that made us feel more connected and made us feel like we belong to each other. And, and that is what I truly hope that church can be. That's the kind of church that I want to belong to, that I want to experience for myself. And, and that's, I think the hope of, of many, um, that that's, that's what they are longing for <laughs> is to, to be seen and known just as they are. You've obviously identified several topics in this book that churches need to talk about, um, which we'll get to momentarily. Um, but why do you think it is the case that many churches avoid these conversations altogether? Well, I, I grew up in a, in a church, a Baptist church, that did not talk about these sorts of things. I think because sort of the Southern church nice, I don't know if you know, you've experienced that, where we just all smile and no one really says, you know, you say, hi, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. And you, you smile through something difficult going on in your life. It's just kind of how we greet each other and it's how we were socialized to, to be in community. Um, that's part of it. I, I I grew up in a church where we talked a lot about theology. You know, it, we we needed to get our facts about Jesus's life right, or our, you know, I I was a Bible drill champ back in the day, where you know I could recite the the books of the Bible backwards and forwards, and I could name these scriptures. And I'm not saying that all these things are are bad. They're wonderful, and they're the foundation of our faith. But we didn't take it a step further because I think that that just felt a little like maybe not what the church is supposed to do from, from our theological perspective of my childhood church, or maybe it was just too, too much. We, we didn't know how to open all that up because, you know, um, what, what might happen if we begin to talk about mental illness, what might happen if we begin to talk about domestic violence and we find out someone that we love is really not a great person when they're at home with their wife and children. Um, I, I really am, I, I got to study throughout this process some brave churches all across the country that were doing innovative ministry in each of the topics that I write about. You know, and I, I really appreciated things like Park Avenue Christian Church in New York City. When they talk about domestic violence, they always have counselors on present, on site if they do a Bible study or they do a service around it, because they realize that, that it is a big deal to begin to open up these conversations and they can't do it alone. They need the support of, of those who have specialized training in these issues. And so maybe, maybe we don't talk about it because it feels like, well, that's just too much to take on. Or maybe let's just stick with the basics of, you know, this is what salvation means, or this is what baptism means. But I truly believe in an incarnational faith that we are living and breathing and in a human community and in a human body. And because of that, um, we, we experience God when we experience the fullness of the human experience. And as we're willing to bear one another's pain and one another's burdens. And if we ignore those things, those real life things that are happening, we miss out on the experience of knowing what Jesus is showing us. 
during um, our experience here on earth. So um, it's very important, very important. My generation tends to take social media uh, on to lay out its grievances with injustices in our world. And in a series of 280 characters, we can tell everyone what's wrong with, with the world and, and everything around us. And, and this has a tendency to spill over into pastors who think they can tackle difficult topics in a one-off sermon. You know, it's the mentality mm. that, that, hey, the once I say it uh, in my way, everyone's going to realize the error of their ways and get on board with it. Um, but you're inviting people into a different type of conversation. So, so paint right. an image of what these conversations should look like. Well, I want to first say, you, I mean, you talk about pastors thinking that they could solve this in, in one sermon. And that's, you know, of course not true. You can't say it once and then be done with it. Check a box, <laughs> then never speak of it again. Uh, but I, I do wanted to say that the, the tone of a church is so important. It comes from the pastor. It comes from the church um, lay leadership. And I ran across as a statistic when I was doing um, research related to in particular mental health. And it just, it was one of those moments where I was just like stopped in my tracks. Like, I can't believe this is real. Although I know it is. <laughs> um, it was from a, a research group LifeWay actually did. And it said that, um, 94% of pastors of those they surveyed um, knew that someone in their church was struggling with mental um, illness or mental health issues, um, but only 12% of them said that they'd ever heard a sermon, um, they'd ever given or, or heard a sermon on the topic. And I was like, I, I, I don't even, I don't know what to do with that. It just sort of stops you. Like, how, how if, if we know that people are suffering, yet we, as leaders, we never say anything. You know, when many of us, like I have, I've struggled, you know, I wrote uh, extensively about it in um, my book, Birth, about the depression that came as part of this really agonize, agonizing medical experience of longing and loss. And um, yet, you know, how important it is just to begin to talk about it. And, and us as leaders saying things. So that's that's my first commercial. But the second part, what you're asking is, is how, how might this happen in a group setting? And I think it begins with intention. I, I talk about in the first chapter, um, the how a group like this might be set up. And my dream is that this fall, many congregations will join me and be a part of the Brave Church launch um, group, um, churches that are willing to get together at least one small group of, of six to eight people and say, we're going to be a brave church um, this fall, and that they would set aside time, may it be in a Sunday school class or another small group, to do the study intentionally with a group of people. Because here's the thing, brave church doesn't just happen. It's not like I'm going to be brave today and, and let's see what happens. Um, it's a process by which a group of people say to each other, we're going to live together in this period of time for this space in a way in which we're going to hear each other differently. Now, I know that you know a lot about, you know, small group leadership and what happens when a group decides to get together. There's typical rules, right, that we say when we lead small groups or we are part of small groups like, you know, confidentiality. 
or, you know, what, you know, what, what's said in this room stays in this room, or we're just going to agree to disagree um, if we have a moment of conflict and kind of stay in the process. But I encountered a, two researchers, um, college professionals out of New York University who did a study back in 2013, um, which they wrote about in the book, Art of Facilitation, about how to move the needle of conversations forward. And these were two college professionals who got very frustrated when they were trying to train their students in issues of racism on campus and other social justice topics, that they felt like the students were just like getting in their camps and always believing the things that they did. And they weren't actually hearing each other or talking to each other. And so out of that, they created a list of five brave space rules that they then taught their students as a way to transform a space from being safe um, to a brave space. So here, let me give you one example. One of the rules um, is instead of just saying, um, well, you know, if something happens, just don't take this personally. What brave space, or in my case, brave church might do is to say, well, you know what, respect for you looks different than respect for me. And so really unpacking that as a ground rule for how you begin, knowing that, you know, we, we own our intentions and our impact of the words that we say. And that even if we think that we're saying something, that is not hurtful or we don't mean it that way, it can come across that way because maybe we don't understand someone else's experience. And uh, so we have to start by doing that work in advance. And we kind of talk through it uh, in, as we're going through these topics and these discussions that we, we begin to just name our own biases or name places where, you know, even if we're trying really hard not to be offensive, that we can be offensive. Um, is, is that, is that ring true with your experience when you were reading this book? Do you, you see the difference between, um, how you might start a conversation, um, in a brave, in a brave space group? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, when you can lay the groundwork, um, for a conversation and, I, and I would say, uh, what I have found is that sometimes the recognition for the conversational leader to, um, to see that maybe they're not a participant and contributing wisdom and insight into the conversation, but more of a coach and guiding um, when you can mm -hmm. free yourself to, to help manage people in the conversation. That's a, it adds to a lot more healthy dynamic. Uh, but as soon as you, you know, insert your, you know, insight into this particular thing, sometimes not saying that's not the time and space to do it, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't allow you to especially manage your emotions if it's something you care deeply about uh, to be able to facilitate that, that conversation. Um, so I wonder for you and not only just, you know, writing this, but also in leading these conversations, what, what, what are some of the most challenging aspects of creating spaces for difficult conversations? Well, I think one thing that I've learned is that not everyone is ready for this that I had an early reader of the book who, you know, a dear church loving person who said to me, I just don't feel like, cause I talk a lot about the difference between safe and brave space. Um, and, and, 
she said to me, I just don't think that my community is really that safe. And, and that is so true in many settings. I know that there's probably people listening to this podcast right now that says, I would love to be a brave church, but I can't even imagine that because you don't know the conflict we just were going through at the last business meeting or the last time we got together um, over Zoom. And, you know, it, I, I hear that and I get it. And, you know, I think for those people in that space, my hope for Brave Church is that it might be a tool of reconciliation for you to be able to go to your pastor or go to your church leader if one of the topics really resonates with your story and you could give it to someone and say, look, will you read this? Will you read this book? Will you, will you digest this with me and, and come and be a part of my experience just a little more closely? And that a person in that position could feel more seen and heard, even if even if the community isn't ready for it, um, but they they could have the experience of of at least being seen and known um, by their church leadership. Um, to me, that would be a beautiful outcome of writing Brave Church. Let's talk about uh, the topics in general for for just a second. You know, I, I would think that the the majority of our audience and most of the ministers within both of our faith traditions um, would agree on why all these topics are important for the church to talk about. However, I'm, I'm sure that some are, are serving congregations that may not understand why all these topics are important. So how do you, how do you embolden the importance of talking about things like racism and sexism and sexuality and domestic violence. How, how do we help people see the value of talking about these things specifically within the church? I think it goes back to human stories and having the um, opportunity just to talk to people. I mean, that's how this started for me. I was just having these open-ended conversations where I would ask people, what does your church not talk about? Or what are you struggling with that you wish you could unpack in a community setting um, amongst your Christian friends and community. And, and this is, these are things that I heard and I think I could have kept going, you know, with lots more topics that I wish um, I could have included. There's so many things. And I, I believe that all of us in some part of our story, I mean, you talk about infertility being a part of your story and like it has been mine. I know that mental illness has touched my family and those that have struggled and I have a real heart for them. I have family members that have come out um, as gay and, and the experience and the difficulty of coming out and the, it has really just, you know, forever shaped my heart. And I think all of us, if we reach deeply into our own stories of our life, of our family, if we spend time just talking with no agenda to people in our community, what, what are you struggling with? What, what have you never heard a sermon on that you would love for us to unpack as a church? Um, people, will, people will get that motivation and they'll, they'll hear things um, that may surprise them, but are, um, will help them know that Brave Church is really a, an essential tool for them uh, as they begin um, to talk more about real life with each other. So, so what does it look like for, for a pastor to help bridge the gap between these topics and their theological implications for our lives and for the church? You know, uh, for a lot of people, they might see something, you know, as political or something as private or something as 
um, you know, off limits for it, for the church. So, so how do pastors in a spiritual formation sense um, help, help bridge that gap to see the connection between that these things are theological? Well, I think when we're talking about suffering, we're talking about God and that God loves all of us. God loves all of us on our best days as much as God loves us on our worst days. And if we're refusing to talk about people and experiences that are a part of the family that God loves, we are not talking about God. And I could preach that message until I'm blue in the face because, it, you know, I've had experiences in my life and in the communities I've served of people that I've loved where they have just felt so rejected and so unseen um, by those in their community. But we know that that's not how God feels about them, <laughs> that God loves them and God loves all of them, not just part of them. <laughs> and, and that this is, is so important for us as the church to be a tool that conveys God's affection and God's concern and that God never slumbers or sleeps and that God is always with us, even in the difficult experiences of our lives. You know, you think about a woman who's suffering silently right now because of things that are happening in her home, um, a place that should feel safe and it is not. I mean, how, how is that not the church's job to speak into her life and to tell her that God has not forgotten her, even though she feels so lost right now? Um, I, I've always had ministry that somehow has, has led me to, to the edges of, of, of communities and of people's stories, maybe because I'm a woman and a Baptist minister. And, you know, for many years, those two things didn't go together. And there's a lot of work I had to do as an individual to find my way to being ordained, first of all, and then finding um, churches that would call me to serve as their pastor. And I think that whole experience personally has given me a lot more compassion for others who struggle to be seen and to be heard and to know that God loves them for how something about them that is unchangeable or an experience of their life that has been so painful. Um, and, you know, once you, you see pain, I think you can't unsee it. And, um, and it's the job, our job, I believe deeply as a church to, to run to those, um, who feel like God has forgotten them and remind them otherwise. What difficult topics, uh, didn't make the cut, but you really wanted to include in the book. Well, I would have loved to have written about, um, um, sex abuse. I think that's a topic that has touched the church at many levels that I wish we talked about more. I would have loved to talk about abortion, although I'm sure I probably wouldn't have sold any books if I had, because that's such a, a hot button issue. But I have a, um, I've encountered a ministry called Exhale um, recently that is not, not a pro-choice, pro-life group, but really it's not about the decision of having an abortion, but has a real ministry to people who have had abortions, you know, and, and helps give them hope and forgiveness and light at the end of a, a difficult life experience, no matter if they regret it or they don't, they're human beings and deserve to be seen and heard as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I probably could write a whole, a whole nother book. People could, 
could give me more topics. Um, but yeah, we stuck with those five, um, infertility, miscarriage is one, um, mental health, domestic violence, racism, and sexuality. Cause I thought, you know, this is, these are things that are, are really present in our world right now. And I'm glad to give voice to them. Lastly, the book is obviously titled Brave Church. And define for us what a brave church is. I think a brave church is willing to start new conversations because um, that's really all that I'm asking you to do. I don't, I don't um, set myself up as an expert on any of these topics. I'm an expert at, um, of being a pastor and being a leader of communities and, um, and starting conversations. Um, you know, I think there's deeper work beyond this book and I give lots of resources. If you really hit on one of these topics and say, yeah, we really need to go deeper into this. And I give you some great resources to take the next steps at that. But a brave church starts conversations because, you know, I think that's often the riskiest part, right? When we know that God has called us to do something or to be something and we think, I know, I know, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. But like taking the next step often feels so frightening. I think a brave church is willing to open up their hearts, open up their minds, and get a group of people together, set some intentions, and just see how the spirit leads. That's brave church. If you want to stay connected with Elizabeth, check out her work at elizabethhagen.com. You can thumb through her insights on social media. And of course, go out and purchase Brave Church wherever books are sold. Elizabeth, thank you for taking the time to join the conversation again. We are grateful for, uh, for your willingness to help us create healthy and safe spaces for difficult conversations. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. This podcast is presented to you by Maccabee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the Maccabee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu, to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and Maccabee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.